are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want you to look with me beginning at Joshua chapter 24 and um, verse number 15. Joshua, and we'll go into this in just a moment, but Joshua is now about 15 verses into a, a personal address he's making to the assembled crowd. And he said here, beginning in verse 15, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, rather the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And I like this. Here's an old man coming down to the end. He's all done. Uh, his tomorrow is, is, is vanishing. His eyes are dim. His, his body is stooped and racked with the, uh, old age and pain, no doubt. And he's coming down to the end, and he's making an announcement so that his wife can hear it, his sons and daughters can hear it, his grandchildren can hear it. And he said, and I love this, this old man came down to the end. He said, as for me, and they said, and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now he goes on and says some more things, and the people responded and answered back to him, and, but he wasn't done yet. You know, you make all kinds of speeches, but if you don't find some way to have the hat hung on the hat rack to be in everybody's attention, you, you forget about the thing. And he took us over to verse number 26, where I want you to look with me now, please. Joshua 24 and verse number 26. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. Now notice. He took a great stone and he set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Now get the picture. The Bible says he had a great stone, not a pebble, not a rock, not a boat, a huge, gigantic stone somehow or another he had placed under a huge, gigantic oak tree. And just to make sure you didn't get confused, he said it's the oak tree that's over by the church house. Amen. Then he said in verse 27, Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be, therefore, a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. He gathered together the crowd. Normal folks like many of us would be, dignitaries, governors over the different sections of the community that he was in charge of, the, the princes and, and the dignitaries. And he gathered them together and, and he reminded them in verse number 3 of God's promise that he was going to bless Abraham's seed. He reminded them in verse number 5 that uh, God uh, had sent the plagues down upon Egypt for their cause. In verse number 6, he uh, reminded them how that God had led them out of Egypt, out of bondage, where under the, under the whips and the cruel taskmastery of the Egyptian soldiers, they had to carry boulders and, and brick and mortar upon their backs to build buildings. He said, I want to remind you, God led us out of that kind of place. He said, I want to remind you how that when we began to leave and God set us free and he sent the plagues and he and he delivered us how that the soldiers came to chase us down and God drowned them in the Red Sea as they came across behind us he said I want to remind you of that he said, I want to remind you that we came against the city of Jericho and we marched around that thing and on the seventh day marched seven times around and the walls came tumbling down and they fell into our hands. He said, I want to remind you. He said, take a look around. I want to remind you that we came to a city. We came to a land that we did not build. A land called Canaan land that floweth with milk and honey. He said, God gave this to us. God gave it to us. You didn't build it. You didn't invent it. You didn't organize it. You did not construct it. God gave it to you. He went on and he said, Now I want to challenge you about something. 
I've reminded you about a few things. I want to challenge you about a few things. Verse 14, he said, I want to re-challenge you about fearing God. By the way, those of us in this building tonight would do well to have that same challenge, find a resting place in our hearts. Fear God. I don't mean run and hide and, and uh, seek a hiding place and, and hold your hands up to shield you from His face. But I mean an old-fashioned holy reverence and fear for Almighty God. The kind of fear that used to make a man walk a straight and narrow path. The kind of fear that used to make a man, when he said something, it was his word. Fear God. Verse number 15, he said, now I want to remind you not only fear God, he said, but I want you to serve God. Verse number 19, he said, I want to remind you of something else about him. He is a holy God. And in verse 19, he also said, I also want to hasten to tell you, he's a jealous God. Not a bad farewell message from an old man, is it? He said, now, while you're remembering that God led us out of Egypt, and while you're remembering that God delivered us as He drowned them when they followed us out across the water, and, 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 and how God gave us a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead us to Canaan land that we did not build, but God led us here and gave it to us. He said, I'm about to go. I'm about to leave. And I have a fear in my heart. My fear is that you're going to forget where we came from. So he said, I want you to look. There's this huge, great stone. In case you ever forget where it is, it's, it's under that big old giant tall oak tree there. In case you're looking out there and you see a bunch of trees, you don't know which one it is. It's the one over by the sanctuary. He said, I want you to go there and look. And I want you to take your sons. And I want you to take your daughters. And I want you to look at that stone. And when you look at it, I want that stone to be a witness of what God has done for us. I want that for my family. I want that for those that we will influence in 1999. We're coming into a new millennium. I want that for the folks of the new millennium. I want them to get to know the God that has revealed Himself to me. And I fear if we are not eternally vigilant, I fear that some of our very own will forget who He is. Have you ever had that kind of a meeting that these folks had with Joshua? I did. I didn't know it at the time. I wasn't aware of it, but as I look back upon it now, I did. I remember getting the telephone call that my mom's father, Ernest Jenkins, we called him Papa down in North Carolina. We, we call each other funny names like that down there. We love each other. He was Papa, his wife was Mama. My dad's father was Paul, and his wife was Granny. Well, you didn't have respect. Oh, I wish you knew how we loved him. And I received word that my, my Papa Jenkins had been rushed to the hospital with a massive heart attack in his 60s. And I got down there as fast as I could, and I remember going up on the third floor of the cardiac intensive care unit at the hospital there in Waynesville, North Carolina, and sitting outside in the waiting room. It's kind of a disconcerting place to wait, because not only are you there worried about your own loved one and wondering how the, what, what's going to happen through the night, but while you're sitting there, there are other family members that are there in the same situation you're in. The ambulances are pulling up with the sirens sounding their arrival and all of a sudden you hear the bitter uh, heart-wrenching screams and cries that go escape the lips of wives and daughters and sons and loved ones as the doctors come out and tell them there's no hope, they've done all they can do. It was that kind of a night that I sat there. And finally the doctors came out and said, we can't have very many visitors and your visits must be very brief. But you can go in one at a time. I walked in that hospital room. 
And there on his back, I'd never seen him helpless like this before. My grandfather was a huge mountain of a man, strong man, worked in lumber mills and, and uh, lumber yards and, and, and had labored his whole life and strong and hard. And I walked in that room and he looked up at me and he got a big old smile on his face. He said, son, last night I was hurting so bad that I just asked the Lord, why won't you take me home tonight? He said, Lord, I don't want to stay here hurting like this, and I know that you're calling me home. Just go ahead and take me home. And I, He said, I didn't know why God wouldn't let me go home. And he looked at me. He said, now I know why. He said, you weren't here yesterday. And I wouldn't have gotten a chance to say goodbye to you. He said, come here, son. And I walked over and stood next to his bed. He looked up at me and he said, I always sort of had it in my heart, in my mind, that maybe God would give me a son that would, they call it down there, that would make a preacher. When someone goes off to Bible college and surrenders to be a preacher, all the women get together. Hey, did you hear about Wally? He made a preacher. <laughs> I didn't make one, but that's what they meant. I, I became one. He said, I always sort of had it in my heart that maybe God would let me have a son that would make a preacher. And, and it did, didn't happen. He said, but you know, one of the highlights of my life was when you got to come down to our church and preach in our little church down here in Waynesville, North Carolina. He said, I was so proud of you. He said, now, now come close. And I went and stood next to him. And he reached up and took hold of my hands. And he said, son, I'm going to beg you. Don't you ever turn away from the call of God on your life. I didn't know it, but I was having one of those old men meetings. I was having one of those meetings where he was reminding me of the goodness of God. I was having one of those meetings where he was pointing to a stone where he's saying, don't turn away from that. God's been too good to you, son. Don't ever turn your back upon what the Lord has done for you. He's been too good whenever the time gets tough and whenever the tough gets, uh, it seems like you're not going to make it and the dawn does not want to break upon the morning and the dew will not evaporate and the storm clouds will not go away. He said, turn your eyes, fix them upon the stone of remembrance and remember the goodness of God. I have an idea that so many of us when we come across tough times, we've not had that old man meeting we've not fixed our gaze upon the great stone at the base of the oak tree next to the house of God and one by one by one I've watched some people that I love like life itself preachers that have walked out of pulpits never to go back again if they just could have kept their gaze on the stone of a witness I wonder if they would have walked away my grandmother was the first one that ever witnessed to me that I can remember in my life. Now, she did not use the Romans Road Plan of Salvation. She did not know it. <clears throat> she didn't use the gems of John. She did not use anything in the Bible as far as an organized soul winning plan. I can remember as a five and six year old young boy sitting out on the front porch down there in North Carolina. By the way, in North Carolina, you didn't have an indoor bathroom. That was all right, but it was inexcusable if you didn't have a front porch. I mean, that was, I mean if you didn't have a front porch, you just weren't anything. Didn't love your family. What's wrong with you? Don't have a front porch. Why? Because the front porch is where all the business got done. Man, I got a lot of whippings on that front porch too. Brother Harold, you ever, you ever use the front porch for that? <laughs> But uh, thank God for front porches. And we met my, my granny had a bunch of old cane bottom chairs. Some of them were rockers. Some of them were just regular old cane bottom chairs, ladder backs that my uncles would, would lean back a, a, against the wall and kick their feet up on top of something, sit there and see who could tell the biggest lie that night. We got done eating supper and, and uh, go outside and sit on the front porch and you have never been entertained by any television program like listening to a bunch of relatives tell stories all night long out on the front porch. I was sitting out on the front porch. My granny has five, six, seven years of age and she started telling me stuff out of the book of Revelation. 
I didn't know. I didn't know what revelation was. I didn't even know what the Bible was, really. I hadn't, wasn't, wasn't reared, uh, went and go to church and didn't read the Bible. I didn't, I didn't know anything. She said, son, I want to tell you some things out of the book of Revelation. I said, all right. She used to get out the big old family album and show us pictures and stuff. I, I thought it was one of those kind of books. I didn't know. She said, I want to warn you about some stuff you got to get ready for. I said, all right, Granny, what is it? She said, the book of Revelation says there's going to come a time of trouble such as man has never seen before. There's going to be all these plagues. She didn't know there about 21 of them and, you know, the vile judgments and the bowls and, the, and all the other stuff come along. And, and she said, but let me tell you, she said there's going to be a great big old lid opened up on the bottomless pit. And there's going to come scorpions out of that thing with wings and long hair like a woman and a breastplate like a tank. And it's going to sting you. I'm sitting out there thinking, where in the world's the lid on that place? I don't want to be by that when it opens up. If my grandmother had only known how to win people, she could have, I would have walked the aisle and sung the invitation song myself right on the spot. Didn't get saved many years later at a Baptist church revival meeting, but I mean, she had me under conviction. She just didn't know how to reel me in. Bless her heart. But my grandmother, as my grandfather, is a stone of remembrance for me. He was a stone of remembrance about not quitting and just keep the call of God in life. Don't turn back. Don't stop. My grandmother is one of those precious Christian ladies I've ever known. The night that she passed away, when she died in her sleep, the Bible was open across her chest where she was reading it. The last thing she did before she met the Lord was read the Scriptures. That does not escape the attention of her grandson who's made a preacher. Every once in a while, when the old devil slips up and tries to get you just a tad bit discouraged, I remember that meeting I had with my grandfather in, this whole, in, in the, the hospital room before he passed away that evening. Every once in a while when the devil comes along and says, why in the world are you out doing this stuff? And Pastor and I were talking at lunch today. He was gracious enough to take me and my family out to lunch with his family and, um, and Brother Paul Murphy with us. And we um, were sitting at the table talking and he said, Brother Davis, how, how long now has it been since you've been back to full-time evangelism? I said, man, I'm in, I'm in year number 10 right now. I cannot believe that. But I would be a liar if I didn't take just a moment to tell you that as I travel around the country, sometimes you get awful lonely. And I probably have made decisions to stay gone at certain times when I should have been home. And the devil comes and says, you think anybody cares? You think anybody even going to remember that you were here a year from now? What are you doing? And there's been more than one time I've had to go and take a peek at that stone. I remember my grandfather admonishing me from his hospital room not to quit. Remember my grandmother, the last thing she ever did in her life was to read the scriptures as the Bible went open across her chest as she went home to be with him that she loved with all of her heart. Folks, you got to have a focal point. You got to have some things along the way. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I know that you've got a memory and I know that you've got things that, that you've made decisions. But let me tell you something. There have got to be some things that have made an impact in your life which you hook on to and you'll never let go. And bless his heart, old Joshua knew that. And he said, I'm getting ready to go, fellas. My life's not long for this earth. But before I go, there's a great stone at the bottom of that oak tree next to the church house. And I want you to go stand there and look at it. It is a witness of all that God has done for us. Not only that, it's heard everything that God's told us.
I'd like to remind you of a couple things tonight. Won't be lengthy, and we'll be on our way. But my goal with all my heart, my desire is that as we, all of us walk out of this auditorium tonight, that we'll have some stones of remembrance in our hearts. Or maybe some physical stones we actually with our eyes can look upon to be reminded. And could I remind you of some of those right now? I want all of us in this room to think of our children, our sons, our daughters. And I want you to answer this, ask, answer this question in your own heart. Do they know you? Do they know what God has done for you? Josh was getting ready to go. He said, hey guys, come here. I want to tell you about God. Well, I'll tell you what he's done for me. I remember when I was in bondage and God set me free. I remember I was walking across the Red Sea on dry ground and God saved my life. I remember when I was lost, I didn't know where I was going and God gave me a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I remember we didn't have any shoes and God kept the shoes on our feet. I remember we had nothing to eat and God rained the manna down out of the sky. Does I do your sons and do your daughters know that God has done that for you? Boy, if not, give them some stones of remembrance as fast as you can. For me, it was March 13, 1968. Changed my life. Changed my destiny. Changed my eternity. All because of a concerned next door neighbor. We didn't have bus routes. We didn't know about, not, not that our church was wicked. We just didn't know about stuff like that. But my next door neighbor, well, about a mile down the road from me, we lived way out in the country, one of the closest neighbors we had, called me on the phone and said, I want you to come to a revival meeting. I didn't know what a revival meeting was. The only thing I knew about revival, that's what you did when someone died. And I thought, you want me to go to one of those meetings? Someone's dead's gonna wake up. I don't wanna. I don't wanna see that. Good night. What is this thing? No, no, no. He said it, it's a, it's a church service. You got to come to church. Well, I didn't want to go, but I kind of liked him. I, he'd worked him with my, me and my dad trying to build in our house. I'd worked with him down there, and and I'd gotten to know him, and I, I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I said, okay, I'll go. Man, I went on a Monday night. He made me come back on Tuesday. Same thing. Asked me to come. I didn't want to, but I did. Wednesday night, uh, he called, and I told my mom, I said, if that's Bill, tell him I'm, not, I, I'm busy. She said, tell him yourself. Yeah. I said, thanks a lot, Mom. By the way, I, 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 I wasn't saying, you know, tell him to get out of my life because I didn't like him. I just, I'd gone Monday night and Tuesday night, and that conviction was here, and I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Man, I was in a rock and roll band. I was a typical 16-year-old high school teenage kid and had my life going the way I thought I wanted it to go. And, and here's this preaching stuff, this religious stuff, trying to take me a whole different direction. I said, Mom, tell him I'm busy. She said, no, tell him yourself. So I got on the phone and he said, I'll be there to get you about seven, about a quarter to seven. I said, that'll be fine. Went to that church service that night. I'm, I'm guessing a hundred folks may have been in attendance. Little country church way out in the, out in the middle of nowhere out in Michigan. Uh, the, the, the little town of Hadley where the church was was about a town of 350, 400 people in population. So uh, attendance of a hundred really was quite remarkable. And I, I was sitting there and I was looking around. I knew some of, many of the kids there. I, I rode on the school bus with most of them to the same high school. I, I didn't like many of them. I really did not like a couple of them. One of them, his name was Dan Rush. He had a brother named Steve. Boy, I didn't like those guys. If you looked up nerd in the dictionary, their picture was there. That's what I thought in my estimation of them, you know. And then on their estimation, my picture would have been there. But that's what I thought about them. And uh, Dan, uh, and they used to write, and used to try to talk to me on the bus about about God. I mean, they'd come out. They didn't have a new old New Testament. They didn't have a little. Had a big old gigantic family Bible with all the pictures of their ancestors in there, and big old thing stuck it under their armpit and got on the bus with it. We used to ridicule them to scorn, call them every name in the book. I got kicked off the bus one night for getting in a fight with Dan. Tried to show me something out of that Bible. I said, why don't you just shut? I said, matter of fact, why don't I just shut you up myself? Got in a fight with him on the bus. Got kicked off the bus. Had to walk two miles home. It was worth it to me. I didn't care. Because I got to beat up the nerd. So I went to church. 
There's Dan Rush, oh boy. Steve Rush, Mom and Daddy Rush, and a bunch of other Rushes, big family. Always on the edge of being normal. Drive back to their house and had a big old sign that said, Caution! Radiation beyond this point. I thought, well, they live there. Well, that explains why they're nerds then. No joke, had a bigger sign. Radiation beyond this point. Don't come in here at your own risk. They're all sitting there. Bunch of other kids in there. I'd been to church on one other occasion there, other than the revival meeting. It was a Christmas program when the pastor's wife found out that I played the guitar. And she called and said, I want Wally to come play the guitar in the Christmas program. A solo. I, I was playing stuff that the Beatles wrote, and I didn't think that's what they had in mind. I was playing stuff that, uh, you know, rock and roll, that, you know, the, the stuff that 16-year-old kids do and, and when you're not saved in high school. And so I, I didn't want to play. My mom says, do you want to still be in your rock and roll band? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, do you want to play? I said, I guess so. So I didn't want to give in. I, I want to still be rebellious but obey. So I picked out a Christmas song that wasn't really a Christmas song. I picked out one that was called Green Sleeves. But in the Christian side, it's what child is this? So when I was playing it, they thought, isn't that great? He's playing, what child is this? I say, no, I'm not. I'm playing green sleeves. Did you make they're playing that song? Man, I was all dressed up. I was dressed up like the Beatles dressed. Had a corduroy coat on and a silk turtleneck zip up the back shirt. Now... Whose picture is next to the word nerd in the dictionary? <laughs> I thought, I thought, well, here I come. I'm Mr. Cool Daddy. Played that night. Everybody came by and shook hands. Hey, that's a pretty good rendition of what child is this. I thought, yeah, I did very well on green sleeves. Thank you. So I got to know some of the other kids in the youth group there. And I'm sitting there on that Wednesday night service. And the preacher's preaching. I got down to the invitation, just as I am without one plea. Same invitation song that so many of us wrestled with when we were under conviction. Kept going on and on and on and on. They knew they had a live one on the hook, wasn't going to let me off. I did not know that the entire youth group had been fasting and praying for me to get saved that week. I did not know that my next door neighbor, who was the youth sponsor, uh, a layman youth pastor of our youth department there, had led all those kids to pray for me and to fast for me that week. I did not know that the pastor and his family had been doing the same thing. And I was standing back there, and between me and the aisle were the Rush brothers. And I said, Lord, I am not about to give them the satisfaction of walking in front of them. If you want me to walk up there, you got to let them walk up there. And I, of course, I knew they weren't going. Those guys carried family Bibles under their armpits. What they have to walk forward for? I mean, they didn't have to go get saved. I no sooner said that, and I, I saw them begin to move. And I thought, I, I might be in trouble here. And I, I looked down. Dan Rush always wore these humongous baggy pants. Before the gang members around this area ever found out about them. Just, I mean, just out of style, baggy pants. And I looked down, I saw his feet leave, and then about three or four minutes later, the pant leg took off around the corner with him. And I thought to myself, why is he going forward? He must be one of them, they're hypocrites. Hear so much about Thought he had saved all this time and now he's not. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to go. Nobody now in my way. I could have walked right over the aisle, but I did not go. And I looked around. I said, okay, I know that, that, that person right over there. That Her daddy is a deacon in the church. She was one of those girls who was in that, that program. If you want me to go forward, let that one go forward. No sooner had I said that than down the aisle she went. And I thought, man, this church is full of hypocrites. I remember walking up there finally after arguing to the Lord, three different occasions, three different people, three different ones of them went. I could not believe what was going on. I went up there and the pastor jumped off a little platform, one or two steps high, came down to me. 
He said, Wally, I'm so glad that you're coming. Why are you coming? I looked at him and I said, I don't have any idea. <laughs> he said, I mean, do, do, do you want to, are you wanting to get saved? I said, I think that's it. Yeah. Amen. He said, won't you come with me? Good. He took me to the back. We, we, we didn't do things like, I mean, we, they didn't understand. He took me to the back of the auditorium. Had three little Sunday school classes back there. I remember the one in the middle, right underneath the clocks, 8.30 on a Wednesday night. I opened up the door. He took me in there. We knelt down together. He said, now, Wally, let me show you some things out of the Bible that you need to do. We're all sinners. And he did use the Roman road plan of salvation to show me how to get saved. He said, now I want you to pray. I had never prayed in my life other than, you know, now lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep kind of praying. Or God is good and God is great. Let us thank him for this food we ate or whatever that stuff was. <laughs> I never prayed a real prayer. And, and, and when he said, I want, he said, I want you to just, just tell God what, what you want. So my concept was God, he's way up here, up somewhere. And no joke, the honest truth, I, 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 I turned my head toward the ceiling. And I said, God, he said, Wally, you don't have to do that. <laughs> People out in the foyer heard me. They thought I was mad at the pastor. He said, talk to him like he's right here. I said, you mean like right in the, in the same room? He said, yeah. I said, oh, okay. And I bowed my head that night next to my pastor, Carl Pike, and asked the Lord to come into my heart and save me. You know, do your kids know how you got saved? Do they know why? You don't have to go into what he saved you from and all the decadence and all that kind of stuff. But, but does he know what God did in your heart? You know why? They need to see that stone. They need to know what God has done for their dad. They need to know what God has done for their mom. They need to know what God has done for their past. I love to hear Brother Treber talk about the night when he, when he found Christ his Savior. I love to hear how he got under conviction one night uh, when he was at camp and his uncle came and sat out in the car and he talked to you. I love to hear that. Why? It's a stone of remembrance for me. I wonder if you've given your kids a stone of remembrance. And by the way, it's one that you have to go visit every once in a while yourself. It's not there now. Building's all different. There have been so many times in the past when I would go back to that little church in Michigan and open up that door and slip inside and sit down about the same area where I'd been kneeling next to my pastor and just remember the night that I got saved. Salvation. How about a stone of remembrance of why you're serving God? Does anybody know about that? Do you ever have to go back and visit that every once in a while? I would not take the time to walk through all the different things God has done in my life to get me where I am right now. But can I just tell you this? There have been some definite moments in my, I mean moments. Here, here on, on uh, commercials and things about a Kodak moment. I'm talking about a Holy Ghost moment, if I can use it that way for, a mo for just a second. I mean, I mean, a moment when God did something in your life. I mean, one second you were here, and then the moment came, and now you're over here. I remember the night when I was sitting in the youth department at that little Baptist church and a man by the name of Dwayne Sindel, a missionary um, to, to um, I've forgotten where he was all of a sudden, but uh, somewhere down in Central America. And he was there that night. He was talking about serving God. And boy, I'd gone in there that night. I said, I, I, I will never go to Bible college. I will never be a preacher. I will never be one of those full-time guys. I'll be a deacon. I'll, I'll sing in the choir. I want to be a good Christian, but I'm not going to do that stuff. That night on January 18th, 1970, that dear missionary friend of mine stood that night and boy, he began to preach in the six o'clock youth hour. And that night I surrendered to go to Bible college to serve God full time. I am so glad that I did not pick and choose which service to go to if there was a service I just went. What if I had not gone to that service? By the way, that service that you think is not important for your son or daughter to go to might be the one they needed. Several years ago, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, Brother Doug Fisher would have a, a conference. I, I always was there on Sunday, and I stayed over on Monday and Tuesday while Brother Treber joined the conference and preached. 
And I just hung around to hear him preach so I could get some more sermon illustrations and outlines. Those things are worth five, six hundred dollars a piece sometimes. But I was sitting in a Monday night service right before Brother Trevor was going to preach. And I saw this man walk in the back door. I said, that guy kind of looks familiar, but I, man, I hadn't seen him for 25 years or more. And I watched him and all of a sudden, I said, I know who that guy is. <laughs> Had not seen him since January 18, 1970. It was that missionary. Amen. His son is the Spanish pastor for Brother Fish. I did not know that. And he started walking down the aisle. And we were, as I said, before they got in a new building, I mean, everybody's just jammed in there like a bunch of sardines. You can't move. You, everybody has to take turns breathing. And I began to fight my way out of the middle of that crowd and got down that aisle, and I stopped in front of him. I said, Brother Shindell, do you, do you know who I am? He looked at me, and he said, you know, it's been, it's been a long time. You're, you're Wally Davis, aren't you? He said, I've been following your ministry. He said, I can't believe we finally got to meet up after all the man. We hugged and cried and shared joys and tears together there. And that next, uh, uh, that was in September, I believe. That next January, I went down to Mexico and preached three weeks for him down there where he's a missionary in Mexico. I've got all these little stones along the way that God has given to me. About the time the devil comes, says, man, you're traveling around, nobody cares. I said, well, I, that, that may be true. But I've got this stone of remembrance over here. It's a witness for me of how good God's been to me. And that one over there reminds me of the night I got saved. I was bound for hell, and thank God that pastor started preaching, and I got saved. There, well, that stone right over there, January 18, 1970, that dear missionary uh, friend came on a 6 o'clock youth hour on a Sunday night, a handful of teenagers. He may have been too tired and thought, why waste the time to go to that? But he went, and that night I surrendered to full-time service. Thank God for it. I was preaching for a dear pastor friend of mine up in Toronto, Canada area. My wife got to go along with me. He said, I want to take you out to lunch in Toronto. I said, well, you know, it's not necessary. I said, you know, probably it's more expensive kind of restaurant, so we can do it. He said, no, no, said, I, I, I want to take you over there. I said, all right. We went to the restaurant, had a large table. He said, I, he said, I got a big table so we'd have room. That'll be all right, won't it? I said, that'll be fine. And I noticed he just kept nervously kind of watching around, and all of a sudden I saw that, a look of recognition come across his face as if he saw someone he'd been looking for. And I turned to look to see who it was. There came walking a tall, stately, godly, silver-haired man pushing it towards his 80s. Slender, dignified, walked in and my pastor friend walked over and shook hands with him and pointed towards me and he said, Brother Davis, I want you to meet somebody. He said, you heard him in the month of March in 1968 and you've never seen each other since then. He said, Brother Davis, this, this is the man that was preaching the night you got saved. Amen. I began to weep in the middle of that restaurant. I threw my arms around that old man and hugged him tenderly and kissed him on the cheek. And I said, Preacher, I've remembered that night so many times, but I didn't know you. I thought about you and I thank God for it. I didn't know where you were. I said, I can't believe I'm getting to meet you. I wonder if there are things like that in your life that when the devil comes and tries to rob your joy, you could go slip back over and find that oak tree next to the house of God and go look at that stone and stop there for just a minute and let God regenerate and, and, re, and, 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 and reignite the love you had in your heart for at one time for the things of God. I wonder if that might not keep you out of the divorce courts. 
by the way, there's a stone of remembrance that accompanied you on that Mary's altar that heard you say, till death do us part. Why don't you just go back and take a look at it every once in a while. See if that might not take care of the mean-spirited attitude you develop one towards another. Remember the goodness of God that brought you together and the fire that was in your heart one towards another before the cares and the wickedness and the lust of the world came in and began to corrode what you had in the beginning. There's a stone of remembrance. And they all stood there. And they looked. And they said, Joshua, we're with you, man. Um, matter of fact, verse 27, look at it. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. Look at verse 24. The, the people said, Joshua, I don't, I don't know what you're worried about. Why, why are you worried about showing us this stone? Why are you worried about that big oak tree? Why are you worried about us, Joshua? Verse 24 says, The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice will we obey. And Joshua said, Okay, I hear you say you love Him. I hear you say you're going to obey Him. But I want you to look at the stone. Look at the tree. Fix your eyes upon the house of God. Because there's going to come a time, if you're not careful, you'll deny His name. Oh, no, we won't, Joshua. Judges chapter 2, verse number 6. says, when Joshua had let the people go, by the way, it must have been a sobering moment in that old man's life. Gathered the thousands together and he poured his heart out to them and for just a little while, they sort of had an old-fashioned remembering kind of service, remembering how good God was and the plagues He sent on Pharaoh and how He let them walk across on dry ground but drowned the soldiers and pillar cloud by day and pillar fire by night and the walls that came tumbling down in Jericho and the manna that fell out of the sky and the water that came out of the rock and the shoes that would... must have been a great service. I bet they had a time. And now it's time for the old man to let him go. He's about to die. And when Joshua had let the people go, verse 6, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Wait a minute. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that He did for Israel. Verse 9, they buried him in the board of his inheritance. Now look at verse 13. Verse 12, They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. This crowd had been the same ones that just a little bit ago were standing at the base of an oak tree next to the church house in front of a great stone. A stone of witness. A stone of remembrance, the Bible called it. And now... They forsook God and began to go after the gods of Baal and Ashtoreth. By the way, both of which involved prostitution in their ceremonial worship, immorality, drugs. They turned their back on the stone 
turned their back to the tree, turned their back to the tabernacle, the sanctuary, and they forsook God. I have to wonder how diligent, and, and they may have been diligent, may not have been their fault, but I have to wonder how diligent mom and dad were to take him down every once in a while to the stone and say, let's talk for a minute here, son. Right. Right. Let me tell you just a few minutes how your dad got saved. Good. Let me take just a second and tell you how your dad got to where he's at in the ministry. Let me take just a minute and tell you how God gave me something that I didn't build and I didn't fix it and I didn't invent it, but he's given me a home in heaven and I've got a mansion being constructed there. Let me take just a minute to tell you about God. You know what I would want us to do in 1999? Maybe some of you already have it. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of us that have it need to do more of it. But in 1999, I want us to place stones of remembrance just everywhere. Might not be bad to put a stone on top of your radio. Remind you that God is holy. What you turn into there better match with God. Might not be bad to have a nice little paperweight kind of a thing. Maybe even to have someone that knows how to do the artistic stuff. Write, write this, this scripture verse out of Joshua. Put that thing on top of the television set of the VCR. I just remind you, God is holy. And what comes out of that thing better match up with God. It's a stone of witness right there. But they turned their back upon that stone, turned their back upon the tree, upon the house of God, upon the Lord, and went out and served the gods of Baal and Ashtoreth. I think every father and mother in this room would probably agree. Those who are doing your best to try to please God. The absolute, absolute most gut-wrenching thing that could occur would be for people that we love. Sons, daughters, grandchildren, nieces, nephews. To turn against that which God has reminded us of at the stone of remembrance. Joshua said, I don't want you to do that, folks. Set that thing up there. Let me tell you how good the Lord is. And I've got to go. Stone of remembrance. I wonder if you have that in your life tonight. Do you have them placed around? I'm not talking now about a physical, literal stone, but have you had those old men meetings that you need to remember and tell your family about? Our Heavenly Father, I would plead with you tonight that some of us that found ourselves a little shaky in 1998, a little disturbed, maybe a little down, that we would begin 1999 by taking a fresh look at the stone of remembrance. We'll know where to find it because they're always hooked on to the things of God at the house of God. It may be a, a certain place at this platform where we knelt at one time and got saved, or maybe we knelt here and made some decision in our hearts or our lives, or it might be a spot in our home it might be a place where we've gone in a park and sat down in a, in, on a bench and we wrestled with a decision and God broke through and gave the victory. But Lord, I pray that you would give each of us somehow or another that sacred spot 
where we look and are reminded of the goodness of God. Stone of remembrance. May we have it. May we show it to our families and our heirs and our loved ones. And God, help us by the grace of God and the power of Thy Holy Spirit that not one of us will be named among the ones who turned our backs upon the Lord and took off to the gods of this world. Bring us back home tonight. Nobody's looking, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed all around the building. Lower floor, balcony, underneath the balcony back there in the back. Who would say, Brother Davis, tonight, though I am saved and I love the Lord, tonight God convicted me. I needed what I heard. God did something in my heart tonight. I need to do some business with the Lord. Pray for me. Would you lift your hands all over the auditorium, way up high, way up high. Would you lower your hands? And as you lower your hands, would all of you join me now by standing? Everyone standing together in the auditorium. No one leaving. We're about on our way out in just a moment. I'm going to have a word of prayer. When I finish with the prayer, the invitation song will begin. Perhaps some families would need to come to this altar tonight and kneel here and have some dads and moms pray with their kids. Maybe some of you that have been wrestling about this thing and the devil's just about to get the victory needs to come kneel here and say, I, I need to cast my glance anew at the stone of remembrance and let God bring me back to the center of His perfect will. Remember His goodness and not dwell upon the things that are discouraging me. Father, You know what our hearts needed tonight. I pray that as we've been privileged to serve You these years, we're right now brand new, fresh in 1999. And Lord, maybe some of us need to come and kneel at this place and transact some business with You tonight based upon what You may have done in our hearts in this room this evening. Father, if that's so, may we respond is my prayer. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.